Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. What if the number of Americans covered by Obamacare were soon dwarfed by truly free or near free health care? Actually free, not fake free. Well, 31 million are currently covered by the exchanges since 09, and 23 million Americans are covered by employers through direct primary care or consumers who have bought it directly with local mom and pops. Most since 2018, a lot of momentum. One in three Fortune 100s are dipping their toes in, and most of Silicon Valley is waist deep in, including Alphabet, Google, Amazon, Apple, Comcast, LinkedIn, Meta, Facebook. Into it and others. So this flavor of DPC has a hard one-to-one -one ROI growing to three or four to one in a couple of years, but a 10 to one when including indirect soft cost savings like reduced absenteeism, workers' comp premium drops, presenteeism at work, and resignation, retention, and recruitment benefits that all float to the bottom line or don't cost. And these are so when you recruit, it's a breeze offering free or near-free health care. So employers are fueling the rapid adoption, particularly in the last six, seven years. Engagement will typically start low with these jumbo employers at 20 to 30%, and it trends higher once the word gets around that this product is actually real. Consumers rate this with net promoter scores 30 to 50 points higher in the 88 to 98 range than legacy care, which is 35 to 60% range at big hospitals, big physician groups. Employers are renewing at the 98% range and it's costing taxpayers zero. There's zero borrowing from China to finance this. There's zero regulations needed, although our guest today in our last presentation said that he sure wishes ERISA would allow opt-out bindings to go away and that tax advantage HSAs would be nice if the IRS would allow them to do the rest of healthcare. There's zero lobbying. There's zero change required of the bigs. We just step around them. We get deals where we need them in their sick system. And there's zero begging for change on microphones and pitch decks in front of big audiences. We have no pitchforks needed, no signs required, no bullhorns, no torches. And the community see an immediate dividend when everybody's premium and copay start disappearing as much as $30 million per 1,000 employees. And that is an evergreen benefit versus a one-time bump like a tax benefit. Zero is added to the million per month of good people that we are accumulating burden with medical debt every month and ruined credit, thank you, surprise hospital billing. And medical errors, our number three cause of death, will drop maybe now we send less people into their hurricane of complexity. So adios billing and collecting forever, forever, and millions of uncounted medically created disabilities eliminated with less pushed downstream and more primary care upstream. And the number one devil goes away bankrupting our people our good school budgets, our city, county, and state budgets, and our federal deficits. Marty McCary estimated about half of all federal spending has to do with health care. 
Shareholders win when the number two cost healthcare is finally reducible up to 60% and the plan pays for itself. I refer you back to the ROI of one to one above. This is exciting because our guest is directly involved with this. All of our poor towns and schools can finally be covered 100% of their people by booting extractive middles and high deductible tyranny. He knows about this first town in Arcadia, one of the poorest counties in Florida. And we also had a guest with Raymond Bill Independent School District who spoke to that. Rural hospitals and counties can be saved. Again, Lee Gross and Carl Schusler showed us exactly how in previous episodes 71 and 75, if we're going to want to learn how. So we'll have links to the show notes. And our beloved docs and nurses are back to their calling and burnout. A distant, unpleasant memory goes away with a fresh EHR approach that now records episodes of care rather than billing and coding. So when you record care episodes and they're auto-transcribed, you don't have to tap, tap, tap away and panels are diced in half. And so meeting time or your exam time goes up from eight minutes to 30 to 60 minutes. And the U.S. might actually be number one in outcomes versus cost in that golden quadrant if we were to replace their rotted, infested, foundation-free house with our own. This direct model on its own places us there if an academic were to state it objectively, I'm pretty sure. This is 23 million Americans that are living in a future where everybody wins. So we excitedly welcome back Lee Gross. Lee Gross, as you remember, is a pioneer and thought leader in direct primary care. And he's testified at the U.S. Senate. He's been to the Heritage Foundation speaking. And he's conducted meetings with the leadership of CMS, HHS, Labor, Secretary, White House. It goes on and on. He serves a president for Docs for Patient Care Foundation, a national health policy think tank of practicing physicians. And it is the leading educator of DPC physicians around the country with over 1,000 trained in the model. He's also the chair of DPC Action, where he does this lobby and the founder of Epiphany Health Direct Primary Care. So Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ron, I appreciate you having me back. Any comments before we get going? Oh my goodness, that was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything you said, I mean, I, I obviously agree with. I mean, we've been living that for the past, you know, 20 years of my career through, you know, transitioning from a traditional fee-for-service practice and seeing how the care is delivered and then transitioning through into a, one of the pioneer direct primary care practices in, in 2010, uh, how the care delivery can be improved. And then you sort of extrapolate that through, you know, how we fared during the pandemic versus traditional fee-for-service practices. And then now, as I, as I sit here at the moment in the tatters of Hurricane Ian, as we took a direct hit, and how we were able to respond in, in a disaster mode compared to the, uh, my fee-for-service colleagues, uh, that we have absolutely truly developed a better mousetrap. Uh, and as you alluded to, you know, in our work in, in Arcadia uh, with DeSoto Memorial Hospital and, and Carl Schusler and his team, have managed to actually find ways to provide better quality care uh, in a rural low-income market, you know, as you know, uh, and and kind of alluded to, over a hundred rural hospitals across the country have have shuttered their doors in the past ten years uh, since the passage of of Obamacare, and the regulatory environment for these for these rural hospitals is is overwhelming and, and cost prohibitive, and with a heavy Medicaid burden, uh, we have found a way to to actually improve hospital finances and are now working to extrapolate that to the rural communities through uh, school systems and, and uh, government employees. Uh, so again, re really excited to continue to expand expand the work that we've done. Uh, and we do believe that it's the type of practice model 
that you can replicate uh, across the country. It's being done in rural settings, urban settings, suburban settings, low income, high income, you name it. So we're excited. We're even uh, have been contacted by folks from from outside the country uh, in Ghana, West Africa, that want to replicate the practice model to rebuild the faltering healthcare system in in West Africa. Uh, so I think it's a very powerful uh, powerful tool that we've developed and that we're continuing to expand upon. I'm going to assume that the Arcadia that the Soto Hospital did just fine during the pandemic. I don't know how did it fare with all the 1.6 million in annual savings y'all created for them. Yeah, I mean, I think they they had one of their arguably one of their best financial years in their history. Wow. And, you know, of course, just like every other hospital, you know, with the, the mandated shutdowns and so forth, there were some you know federal financial assistance coming through CMS because they obviously suffered some losses um, when they were forced to shut down. But when you look at, at how their, their health plan performed, you know, you compare to the uh, rural accountable care organizations, which is sort of the CMS gold standard, you know, they save $63 per beneficiary. And we've saved them about $2,000 per beneficiary. So, I mean, just if you look at the benchmarks, it's not even a fair fight. That's fantastic. What is that percentage-wise of their overall spend per beneficiary? Uh, that's probably above my pay scale. I don't necessarily see those numbers. I'm sure it's all available publicly on their public reporting since they are a taxpayer-funded entity. Okay. It's meaningful. Now, during a hurricane, I've been through two in Houston, the roads kind of shut down, system shut down. But if you have virtual primary care on your phone, a doc in your pocket or a nurse in your pocket, is that why DPC was able to prevail during this, Ian? Well, during Ian, you know, because we're not fee for service and we're paid on a, on a fixed fee basis, uh, it doesn't matter how we provide care. It doesn't matter where we provide care. It's just the only thing is that we do provide care. So when Ian came through as a strong category four, and I'm going to make an argument that it will ultimately be recategorized as a, as a strong five when we see the wind speeds that we saw here, my practice, my main practice location is located right next to an emergency room, which was knocked out by Ian. The roof was ripped off. And so they were out of commission for 10 days. We became the emergency room because we just set up a triage in our parking lot. And we took all comers, whether they were our patients or not, we didn't charge anybody for care. Uh, we converted our outdoor back porch into a, into an exam area and where we would sew up lacerations and treat injuries from, from the storm. Uh, and so we were closed for a total of 48 hours after the storm before we then opened up for, for care without phones, without electricity, without water, without access to medical records because we had no power and there was no cell phone service to... Uh, to access our electronic records, but you know, where there was a will, there was a way. I'm going to assume that fee-for-service can't make those claims. They had to follow under different guidelines and different regulatory authorities and probably couldn't code and bill, so they just didn't want to get involved. I'm assuming y'all were almost alone in the DPC community. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and if you can't meet the requirements of the billing and you can't document properly, then you can't bill a third party for it. And, and when... Uh, you know, natural disaster strikes for the first 72 hours easily, you're on your own. I mean, the cavalry's coming, but you are you are on an island. And we literally were on, on an island because the entire community was was surrounded in flood water, so you couldn't come or go. Hmm. And, you know, again, in, in that environment, you can't code a level four office visits and, and document it properly. You can't wait for Blue Cross to convene emergency payment structures, and you can't wait for a, a congressional committee to create Medicare special relief 
that doesn't happen in real time, but we were able to do that in real time. Yes. I want to talk to you about the happiest doctors on earth in CMA conferences in America, particularly. If I had to put like a Mount Rushmore, the five most influential thinkers in DPC, you'd certainly be on that Mount Rushmore. But the other four guys, I think I've talked to already in my show when I first started the show, and everyone else say the same thing, that DPC docs don't fall out. They're, there's no burnout. They don't have suicide rates of one per day, the highest rate in any profession in the world. What is the deal? Why are DPC docs so happy? Can you, can you first of all, verify that they're the happiest docs? Is there anything measurable or is that just an observation? Well, I, I mean, I think there are probably some measurable statistics. If you look at Physicians Foundation polling data, I think you'll find that that physicians that are in direct primary care generally have greater job satisfaction than those that are in, in fee-for-service. But if you look at what our professional medical societies are doing, the American Medical Association, Florida Medical Association, and so on, they have transitioned their role from advocating for doctors to, to trying to make their lives suck less and basically how to survive in in a systems basically that they promoted and so you know they generate revenue from putting on instructional courses to teach you how to code properly and I, th- I think that the term physician burnout is is a term that's sort of kind of frowned upon within the physician community because it sort of implies sort of that the physician is kind of weak you know physicians by by nature are very hardworking people you don't get to become a doctor and through med school and through residency because you don't like to work hard but you like your work to have value and when you define the value of a physician by how many boxes you click and how many rvus you can generate and how many patients you can see in a day that is not value as defined by i think most physicians value sets but when you talk about you know how many people you can help and how many days you were able to practice without power in the parking lot and not have to charge for your services. Those are things that, you know, I will remember a decade from now, not, you know, how many patients I, I saw in the office today and how many I clicked through and what my RVUs generated for my employer are. So again, when, when my value is defined by, you know, patients saying, Hey, you know, I've been seeing doctors for, you know, for 20 years, and this is the most incredible experience I've ever had. Or, for example, an, an employer that, that came to me uh, that signed up his employees for, for our direct primary care membership. And he told me just a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, I've been paying for 20 years for my employees for their health insurance, and not one of them has ever thanked me for it. He said, but as soon as I signed up for your program, every single employee that's seen you has come up to me and thanked me for adding this benefit to our employment. And he said, I've never been able to add some sort of benefit where the employees were so happy with, with the services. And that, again, to me, provides value and and creates happiness. Are we stress-free? Absolutely not. But the stresses are ours and the stresses are are, just real life, but they're not created by some arbitrary third-party entity that's sort of driving us. Yes. I saw Scott Shreve with Crossover Health had a post today on LinkedIn, and he talked about it's not magic, all the works, the, the plumbing and the works behind what creates DPC but the magic is in the delivery of the model. It is. And and so, you know, if I'm sitting down with a patient and I say, you know, and they have a traditional third-party insurance and I say, you need an MRI of your knee and we're going to go ahead and fight your insurance company to get that approved. And I'm going to have my staff member spend an hour on the phone. We're going to send records, do a peer-to-peer fight to get it covered. As opposed to, I'm going to get an MRI and oh, by the way, it's $220 cash and you can get it this afternoon. It, it has just a different feel to it. 
Okay. You're still doing the same thing, but but you don't have as much headwind and standing in the way. So one of the great things that Carl did in structuring, Carl Schusler did in structuring our DeSoto Memorial Hospital program is there are no requirements for authorizations for anything we do in our practice. The authorization process for getting advanced imaging in our, in our program is that Dr. Gross said it needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's covered, period. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no fighting for, for these things. And oh, by the way, the way it's structured is if the employee gets the services done at the hospital itself, it's free to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they didn't add a $10,000 deductible and create this massive financial barrier to care. They said, we trust our physicians. We hired those physicians. And therefore, we're not going to hire people to oversee our highest trained people in the loop. Let's trust them and let's lower the barriers and and make sure our our employees have access to the care that the physicians feel they need. Super important in this economy. We have almost two thirds are living paycheck to paycheck, rich and poor. We have 80% of Americans making under 30 an hour. So we're an hourly economy backbone. We have most Americans that are in plans at work are in high deductible plans by the Fed's definition, 1500 or more. They don't have the cash in the bank to afford it. So they're basically in a plan they can't afford and can't even use, but they're paying a premium every month. And then when they get these prior authorizations and these co-pays and these restrictions, they can't even spend their own money that they've set aside to get care sometimes because they're turned down. And, and to make it even more crazy than it already sounds is oftentimes when they pull out that insurance card, things that they could have gotten by paying cash get more expensive by using insurance. Yes. So, for example, you know, somebody's copay using commercial insurance with a high deductible plan, maybe you know, $500 for an MRI where our cash price uh, is $220. Yes. So by pulling out that insurance card, not only do you have to fight to get the, the study approved, if you do get it approved, it costs you twice as much as if you didn't use it at all. Speaking of the word fight, Lee, there's a very strange thing happening in the direct primary care cruise ship, if you will, our our movement. And there are some people in the movement who don't want to acknowledge that DPC is now scaling nationally with companies like Everside Premise and Marathon. In fact, I've had 16 CEOs or CMOs on this show, like Crossover Health, Scott Shreve, that are scaling it for jumbos. Because the problem in Arcadia is you can't, without a lot of work, get a unified offering and a unified pricing for a jumbo employer in your neighborhood. But these guys now can, across state lines, across metros, provide a consistent care, give them tons of metrics, offer a tremendous amount of data that allows DPC to scale. And that's really just in the last four to six years as these firms are now scaling. And it's exciting. Are you of the opinion that they're good for doctors or that they're tricky because they're just another big employer? What are your feelings about these nationally scaling DBC jumbo firms? Yeah, I'm, I think that that there are going to be many ways that this looks in different markets. So what works in Arcadia, Florida may not work in Manhattan, may not work in Wichita, Kansas, may not work in Dallas. What I like is the innovation that lots of different solutions are being developed. And, and some of them will, will turn out to be fantastic and some of them will fall on their faces. I still think that, you know, the one-on-one sort of Marcus Welby type thing is is sort of the gold standard. And, and as close as we can get to that interaction by using sort of a combination of personalization and one-on-one touch, I think the better the care ultimately is. But that doesn't mean that that can't be replicated on, on large scales. The thing that I usually like to say is that while the, the system is, is pushing towards mass production and the direct primary care basically allows mass customization, and that's the goal that we're shooting for. Yes. Babylon Health is not a DPC provider. They're more a Medicare provider. 
but they have figured out how to get a 98% net promoter score from their consumer. They're treating more consumers in the world than any primary care doctor in Great Britain or in the world, frankly. And they're doing it with two ops. You can opt in to get the doctor you had last time and wait, or you can take the first nurse or doc available. And there's a lot of intervention with AI and with bots and with lower levels that are doing the intervention for you know, less complicated problems. But their doctor to patient ratio is one to 16,000, and they've still got that high net promoter score. It just blows me away. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's what I got to say. Yeah. That's <laughs> what that's can you say? That's fascinating. Yeah. Like yeah. I say, you know, there's what I love about, about the, the market movements right now is just the ability to innovate. And, you know, again, that's, that's an interesting conversation and a change. Uh, so when we go to, to lobby in Washington, you know, when I was a fee for service practice, we would go there with our hands out, just begging for money. Yeah. You know, can't, don't cut, don't cut our Medicare fee schedule. Mm-hmm. We need higher payment for preventive services. We need higher vaccination reimbursements rates. And it was this constant fight. And as soon as we left, another group would come in behind us and say, we need higher reimbursements. We need higher payment. Uh, don't cut our money. And you know, the next group would come in the same exact thing. Yeah, the ruck took care of y'all a long time ago. There was no hope after the ruck. Right. But now when we go up there, we, we go up there with our hands out with a handshake saying, we know you don't have the money. We're not asking for your money. All we're asking is for you just to, to stay out of our way. Well, describe that. What are the two or three things you're lobbying for in 2022? When we spoke two and a half years ago, I believe it was HSAs, as I said, at the top of the show. It's still HSAs. Okay. Yeah, obviously we we went 99 yards, drove down the one yard line under the previous administration under H, for HSAs, and uh, we did not get that, that football across the goal line. And then the ERISA opt-out. You can't, with ERISA, have DPC and see federal patients on the side. You can't side gig at a, another clinic that's fee-for-service. I think it's legit. The government is worried you're going to bill and you're going to get the DPC fee as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, in, in our side, that's basically the, you know, the Medicare opt-out. If you're taking cash from a Medicare patient, you have to opt out of the Medicare system, mm-hmm. which eliminates other financial potential sources for you. So you can't moonlight in an urgent care. You can't work in an ER. Can't medical director at a, the VA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some carve outs for that, but they're few and far between. And, and most people wouldn't call it. You can't do, you know, telehealth because the telehealth is, wants to build Medicare on your behalf. Mm-hmm. So it makes it very difficult to start up a practice when you have to opt out. So those are the types of things that we we lobby for veteran savings accounts or something that we're working to create for the uh, the Department of Defense and, and various other tax treatment tax treatment issues. Uh, and then there's a lot of stuff that that we're working with at the various state levels. So on on Monday, I fly to Mississippi to meet with members of the Mississippi legislature uh, on their invitation to to discuss some options that we can have. Uh, there as well. Well, I salute you for all the work you're doing. There's a big conference coming up in Dallas, November 10th through 12th. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. This is our nuts and bolts to 2.0, our DPC conference. Uh, this is our fifth conference. We had a little two-year hiatus because of the, the pandemic, but we started in 2016. And since that time, uh, we've had well over a thousand physicians come through our training program. Uh, it's a two-day intensive uh, continuing medical education where we have physicians from all over the country with collectively decades of experience at, at operating and starting up direct primary care practices in all parts of the nation uh, with all different patient populations. And so we have attorneys coming in to explain legal ramifications. We have HIPAA and OSHA compliance experts to t- teach you how to keep your 
practices from from getting into into trouble, uh, social media experts to teach you how to market. And then this year, we're also expanding and doing procedural clinics where we're getting board certified uh, specialists to come in to teach primary care doctors how to manage uh, common procedures that might that might come into the practice to keep them from needing to refer some things out. So, you know, common fracture management from the orthopedic surgeons, splinting techniques, your nose and throat doctor is going to teach how to pack nosebleeds that won't stop bleeding, common urological issues, catheter management stuff. If somebody has a urinary obstruction, kidney stone management sort of things. We have a dermatologist teaching biopsy and wound management and surgical techniques. Uh, so we're looking forward to this. If people want to learn more about the conference, uh, they can go to dpcconference.com. That's DPC for direct primary care, conference.com. You can see the agenda there, sign up and register and sign up for those procedural programs. But the networking is fantastic. And we refer to this kind of as the, the, the happiest CME on earth. Because when you go to most CME conferences, they're just a bunch of grumpy physicians that are just beaten up and they're going to learn how to code stuff and they're learning how to maximize their billing and revenue, how to keep their practices alive. And this is just a, a hopeful group of people that are that are excited for their future. Uh, they're excited to network and there are numerous networking opportunities here. And so we always have a great time and, and we're looking forward to having several hundred physicians join us in Dallas this year. Lee, I'm going to have a special show with you after this conference, and you can breathe again, to just answer the most common questions that physicians ask you before they make this leap. I would love to have a call in, but you've heard all the questions for 20 years now. So let's set up a time in the next three to six months to do another show on just the common questions that people are afraid of to make this move into this logical, you see it logical, there's literally no downside, but let's let's do a show on that. Does that sound good to you? Fantastic. I'd love to appreciate the yeah. time. Hey, Lee, how do people reach you if they want to find you? Yeah, so uh, they can contact me directly through my email. It's leegross at msn.com. G-R-O-S-S. L-E-E-G-R-O-S-S at yeah. msn.com. Yes. They can check out our, our personal practice website. That's epiphany.health, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y.health. Uh, and they can see what it is that we do here in, in our personal practices. Or they can check out uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation, D, the number four, pcfoundation.org. And of course, these are all be in our show notes, so you can look them up, guys. And as you know, we like to end the show with, if you could fly a banner overhead, Lee, what would that banner say to America? <laughs> there is a future in healthcare, and it is now. It is now. That is true. We are living that future. I've been a DPC happy consumer for almost five years, and I can't imagine going back. Yeah. Lee, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.